in that clip, you know, we watched Lucy and Ethel try to keep up with the chocolate on the assembly line. For some people, that clip is like a picture of their lives. I mean, you know, they're barely keeping up as it is. They're under stress. They can't, they don't, can't seem to catch up. Then all of a sudden, something else gets thrown in and things get speeded up a little and then they just fall totally apart. Uh, but let me ask you, in light of that, how valuable are you? How valuable is your time? I mean, we, we saw the, the, the clip here, and for, in the clip for Lucy and Ethel, their time was less valuable than the opportunity to make a little extra money. Because, you know, Lucy always wanted to get Ricky to give her more money. And so they, made the, they got this job at the chocolate factory to make a little extra money in exchange for their time Turned out it was a bad exchange. In real life, however, Lucille Ball made a ton of money in exchange for her talent because she was so extremely funny. And so some people, I think some people also misunderstand how funny Vivian Vance is, the lady who plays Ethel. I think she is also very, very funny. And, and uh, of course, I, I know Lucille Ball helped her become that, but... You know, these people exchanged their talent for a lot of money. However, in many instances, I don't know about their personal lives, but money doesn't have enough value to replace what is lost in exchange for it. There are fathers, for example, who miss out on a relationship with their child because they work all the time. It's not a good exchange. Even though they get a lot of money, perhaps, it's not worth what they had to give up for it. Money is not always the thing that, that, uh, that will solve every issue in life. Now, money helps a lot. I mean, I've been poor, and I've been not poor, and I like being not poor a whole lot better. But money is not the total answer. If you're having marriage problems, yeah, you can make a lot of money and send your wife on a lot of trips, but that doesn't solve the problems of marriage. And it's a poor exchange for a successful marriage. So, let me ask you this. How valuable are you? What are you worth? And how does your opinion of your worth affect how you invest and spend your time, your energy. How does that affect you? Does it make you go searching for um, crazy ideas to get rich quick because that'll help you become something else? I'll never forget the time that Tammy and I got invited to some people's house and they asked us to come over for dinner. We didn't know them very well. We were excited because we were going to have some new friends and we had a beautiful dinner, and we were talking and having fellowship, and the guy looks at me finally as we're concluding dinner and says, how would you like to make money in your spare time? Well, I realized that the dinner wasn't about us at all. It was about them having somebody down on the ladder that we could work for and make them money. I'm not opposed to those things, but I, it seemed like that we were invited under false pretenses on that particular night. And it seemed like the investment we, we thought we were making 
was a ripoff. Money is not the answer to everything that we do. We're going to look a little bit at, our, at your value this morning as, as we go forward. Do you realize that God loves you? He loves you. He sent Jesus to save you from the curse of this world while you're here and to take you to heaven after your body dies. I mean, I think that's awesome. He values me. He loves me. Anytime we see the word love in the scripture, we can exchange it for the word value. Because love puts value on something. If I love you, I value you. Anything I love, I value. If I love my car, I value my car. If I love hamburgers, I value hamburgers. And if I value hamburgers, I'm willing to make certain exchanges to get one or two, however many there are. Listen, we will never do anything for the Lord. We will never affect society until we realize just how much God loves us. Every one of us needs to get a revelation. God loves me. Not just everybody. God loves me. Warts and all, God loves me. We need to know that. He, know, he loves us in spite of our faults. Paul prayed this prayer. Don't turn here. Just listen to this, this prayer. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prayed this. He said, For this cause... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Now listen to this. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth all knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. What power is that? It's the power of knowing him and his love. It says, unto him be glory in the church by by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The power of God that works for me, is put to work when I get a revelation of His love. Isn't that interesting? If I'm not sure He loves me, I won't be sure that He will do what He said He would do through me. There's there's this tremendous power that's released. It's the revelation of love in that, that I'm filled with the fullness of God. It's having this revelation of His love. See, the victorious Christian life begins... And ends with the love of God. I have to know He loves me. It's not as much about following the rules as it is about believing the love. Now, there are rules we need to abide by in our lives. But the Bible says in 1 John 4, 16, And we've known and believed the love that God hath to us. We've known and believed the love. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in Him. When we believe the love, We receive the grace that empowers us to say no to the world and yes to the things of God. That's powerful. Think about this. I'm just going to read you some verses. You don't have to turn to these. I'm I'm going to get someplace here in a minute. Genesis 1.26 says, And God said, 
Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now notice this. God, in the very beginning, gave man dominion over the earth. Or, he gave man authority over the earth. However, the Bible never says God gave us ownership of the earth. He gave us dominion of it, but he didn't tell us we owned it. The scripture says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is who's? the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. God owns it. This earth belongs to God. He put us here to have authority, to have dominion, to rule it for Him. God's intent is that we exercise authority here and over everything that opposes God's rule. In other words, God put us here. He kind of leased it to us. It's, he gave it to us to have, and the Bible clearly says it's for a season of time. Right? We, we understand that. Now, but think, in the Garden of Eden, what happened? Adam and Eve relinquished their authority and more or less subleased the earth to the devil. Okay, they, they just said, okay, well, you can have it now. After their sin, the devil gained control of the earth with man's permission. <laughs> Think about this. Luke chapter 4, verse 6. I'm just going to read it to you. The devil's tempting Jesus on the Mount of Temptation. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. Now, this is the temptation of Jesus. If the devil couldn't give it, it would have never been a temptation to Jesus. He was saying, this is all mine. I am in control of all the kingdoms of the earth. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. Thankfully, Jesus didn't do that. But notice something. He said that all this power and the glory of the world was delivered to him. Who delivered it? Adam did. Men do all the time. We deliver it to him by falling for his trickery, by falling for what he says and the lies he tells us, by succumbing to his fear. We then deliver power to him. Power that's really not his. Power that should be ours. Who delivered it to him? A man did. A man delivered it to him. However, in that temptation, Jesus did not submit. He overcame the temptation as a man. As a man, because only a man has rightful authority in the earth and regained the authority. The scripture says this, Jesus said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I live forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Jesus said, Hey, don't be afraid anymore. I've regained the authority. I've done it. 1 John says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. God loves us so much. He desires us so much. A man delivered the earth to the devil. But it took a man. 
to regain it from him. That's just awesome to me because he loves us. How did Jesus do that? With his blood. The purchase price was his blood. He he recovered it all. The devil's intent, intent is death. To separate us from God. Separate us from God's plan, God's purpose. Jesus' intent is life. That's his mission, to connect us to whatever God has for us. He did that by his blood. Now that takes us to our text, which is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. See, we have to recognize God loves us so much. He was willing to pay a great price for us that we might achieve in this earth His purpose and do what He's called us to do. Peter says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You weren't redeemed by that, but this is what you were redeemed with, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The New Century Version. We've read this each week. You know that in the past you were living in a worthless way. A way passed down from the people who lived before you, but you were saved from that useless life. You were bought, not with something that ruins like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, who was like a pure and perfect lamb. Once we gain a revelation of the love of God, we can begin to understand who we are When I recognize He loves me. See, much of the church is powerless and inept because we don't know who we are. We're unable to affect change because we don't know who we are. According to Hebrews 11, the way times can be affected and altered is by people who have a word from God and operate by faith. But we'll never have have and operate in that word until we know who we are in Christ. And once we do that, when we possess that kind of faith, it will affect change. But the first thing I have to know is not what does this or this or this mean, but does God love me? I've got to know that. In spite of my failure, in spite of my success, in spite of what's going on, God loves me. See, we've allowed the world to define us. We've allowed the world to determine our limits. I mean, they're constantly trying to put us in our place through their godless laws. I mean, through their their perception of normality that defies God and tells us we have to abide by their normalcy, we don't have to do that. For too long, we've allowed the devil to determine our destiny. It's time that we quit being intimidated and let the devil be the one who's intimidated by us. We've got to recognize who we are in Christ instead of recognizing what the devil tells us what we're supposed to be. We need to learn how to remind him of who he is, what his eternity is. Where is he going? You know, when he says, you are such a loser and a failure, I mean, I'm going to agree with him quickly. You know what? You may be right, but here's the deal. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven because Jesus has made me to be righteousness. Jesus has deemed me extremely valuable and that's where I'm going to go. But listen to about you. You're going to wind up in the lake of fire. So 
So if you want to make a comparison, dude, let's just go for it. We need to recognize that through the blood of Jesus, our lives are no longer worthless and useless. Our value is determined by God. He determined our value. We've been talking about it for several weeks. We've, we've said that our identity, if it's in anything that can change or move, we're in trouble. That's why we must identify with the unchanging Word of God and Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have, that's where our identity has to be. Whatever the Word says, whatever the blood says, that's what I identify with because that's what makes me who I am. Our identity is not in our looks, our possessions, our past. It is only in the Word of God. Okay? You are a child of God. And your value is commensurate with the blood of Jesus. That's what God spent to get you. Okay, so let's talk about that. What are you worth? Let's do an appraisal this morning. All right, let's find out what you're worth this morning. What are you worth? What is your value? See, in my, in my secular job, I do a lot of appraisals. I appraise lots of fine jewelry. I appraise lots of junk jewelry. But I appraise it. Why do I appraise it? I appraise it so that we can put value on it so that it can be insured for the most part. Some people just want to know. I, I do lots of these appraisals and I put value on those. In fact, some items I don't even like. And I appraise them. And sometimes I'm surprised at how many dollars they're worth. So I do appraisals. When you buy a house, the bank always requires that you get an appraisal. Why? Because they want to make sure that the money they're loaning you is at least less than what your, what your house is worth. Because they don't want to loan you, you know, $500,000 for a $100,000 home. So we have to have, we have to have appraisals for those types of things. So what determines value? Well, here's what Jesus said in Luke 16, 15. You can turn there if you'd like. See, we've got to figure out how, how are things valued. And if God says something has value, that's the opinion we want to take. You know, if you have a fine piece of jewelry and you take it to Cousin Mike... And Cousin Mike, you know, he's been around a while. He's bought three or four diamonds in his life. And Cousin Mike says, oh, man, this is worth probably $30,000. And you take it to the jewelry store. And the jewelry store says, well, this is worth about $3,000. Which opinion are you going to take? I'm taking Cousin Mike's opinion because it's more. Really, you're going to pay premiums for $30,000 on a $3,000 piece of jewelry. Had a guy one time bring to me what he claimed was a genuine Alexanderite. It was big, too. Well, Alexanderite is, the, is perhaps the most rare gemstone in the world. I took one look at it and knew it wasn't real. I knew that it was lab-created. And the guy came and told me, he said, this is a genuine Alexanderite. Can you tell me what it's worth? And I said, well... Do you want my opinion, really? And he said, yeah, what is it worth? I said, well, it's not natural. It's lab created. He said, no, it's not. It's real. It's worth $100,000. And I'm thinking, why did you even ask me that? 
I said, sir, I don't know who told you that, but the, the, the gemstone is lab-created. It's worth about four or $500. Well, he was furious. Whose opinion do we accept? Well, regarding the value of you, do you accept the world's opinion or God's opinion? So we have to decide what we're going to do. Here's what it says in Luke 16, 15. Jesus said, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. He said, there's a different value system going on. The New International Version, he says, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. To esteem something is to value it. He said there are things that people esteem or value that God totally disesteems or holds to have no value. You see, God's value system is different than man's. We read in 1 Peter a few minutes ago that we've been redeemed by precious blood. You were purchased back to God by what God deems is precious and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. God was willing to spend this most valued possession to get you. His estimation of the blood is that it's a rare treasured commodity. He was willing to give that in exchange for you. He, he, he just he, he, he saw you as valuable. He sees you at least as valuable as the blood, but he must see you as more because he's willing to make the exchange, the blood for you. You are a rare and valuable treasure. What he calls precious, valuable, is precious and valuable. No matter what the world says, you do that. When I do an appraisal on a piece of jewelry, how do I appraise that piece of jewelry? How do I determine value? A lot of people think I can just look at it and pull some number out of the air and say, oh, it's worth this much. Okay? When they assess your house and they give an appraisal, how do they determine the value? Both of those things, what I do, what the home appraiser does, they are determined by comps or comparable items that others are willing to pay for in a certain quality, a certain size, a certain neighborhood, whatever the case may be. Appraised value is determined by looking at the market price. What is the market price? Well, the market price is what somebody's willing to go to market and pay for. Whatever somebody pays is what it's worth to them. Remember a few months ago I talked to you about this, this car called a McLaren P1? McLaren P1. I don't know if you've, if you've been, I've, I've looked at them on the internet. When I talked to you before, it was months ago, I told you the McLaren P1 was worth $1.3 million. $1.3, well, it's not. It's worth $1.35 million because the price has gone up. However, the average one sold is normally customized for the buyer. So the average price paid for McLaren P1 automobile is $1.8 million dollars. 1.8 million dollars. Now you might be thinking 
There is no car on the planet worth that much money. If you're thinking that, you're wrong. <laughs> because if it's not worth that much money, nobody's going to buy one. McLaren, they make 375 of these cars per year. 375. Worldwide, 375. Do you know how many they sell? 375. And there's a waiting list to get the next batch that come out next year. 375 people a year are willing to plunk down $1.8 million for an automobile. What is the car worth? It's worth $1.8 million, I'm guessing, because that's what they'll plunk on the table to get one. And they're waiting in line. Listen to me. They're waiting in line to buy them. It's, it's not like there's just, there's just the, the one. It's 375 people are doing that. I mean, they're waiting in line to do that. See, you may not think it's worth it, but they sell all they make. They can't keep up with the demand for them. You know what that means? That car is worth it. Because that is the price that pays. To McLaren owners, the car is worth more than their money. And so they're willing to make an exchange to get it. You're probably thinking, it can't be. There's no way I'd spend that much money. You don't know that yet. You just don't know that yet. $1.8 million to some people is like you paying the the thirty-five or fifty or sixty thousand dollars you did for your car. I remember the first car we ever bought was three thousand dollars, and that was a ton of money. But we spent it. Now they're fifty thousand dollars for the same type of car. Well, is it worth it? If you spent fifty thousand dollars on a car, yes, it's worth it to you. You made the exchange to get that car. What's it worth? What could it be worth? See, we got to fit. What, what, what is the value determined by? Listen to this. I read this article this week. On November the 11th, in Geneva, Sotheby's, which is an auction house, a very affluent auction house, they will auction the Blue Moon Diamond. The Blue Moon Diamond is an internally flawless, vivid blue diamond that weighs 12.03 carats. It's, I mean, it's, it's about that big. Okay, they're going to auction this diamond. It's, it's internally flawless. It's vivid blue. It will sell for somewhere between 35 and $55 million. It will become the most valuable item ever purchased per volume. Think about it. $35 million for something a little bigger than a dime. It's actually oval and not round. But they, they will, they're going to, $35 million. What's going to determine the price? What somebody will pay. What someone will pay will determine the price. And believe me, it will probably sell for closer to $55 million. Okay, Be why? Because that's how much it's worth. 
it will sell for what it's worth. One time, Tammy and I decided to auction our house off. So we did an auction on our house. You know what it sold for? The appraised value. Because that's what it was worth. People came and bid. People came and bid a fraction of the price. But somebody, when somebody saw that, they bid more, and then they bid more, and then they bid more, and then they bid more. And eventually it sold to the highest bidder who offered us what we would have sold it for with the realtor. Okay? Because it's worth what somebody will pay for it. You see, when that diamond sells, it'll become the most valuable diamond, most valuable commodity ever sold. Value, listen, this is important, value is always determined by what somebody is willing to pay. If, if they're not willing to pay for it, it's not worth that much. You know, a, a fellow came to me the other day and he said he had this ring and, and, and he wanted me to buy it from him. And he said, well, I bought it for $10,000. I said, well, I'm not buying it from you for $10,000. He said, it's worth $10,000. And I said, I mean, I was kind, but I basically said, if it's worth that much, go get it. He said, how much do you think I can sell it for? I said, you'll be good. If you sell on eBay or on Craigslist, you'll be good. He got ripped off when he bought it. But I said, you'll be good to get three for it. I thought diamonds were forever. Well, it will, but what can you exchange it for? That's my question. Well, it lasts as long as the earth remains, but it's not going to last forever. Value is determined by what someone will pay. What is a fine watch worth? It's determined by the buyer or the redeemer. Someone who will redeem it with what they have. What's a fine wine worth? Determined by the buyer. You might think, well, it's not worth anything to me. It may not be to you, but it is worth something because someone will make an exchange for it. What is, what is, what is a fine painting worth? What's a Rembrandt worth? What is the Mona Lisa worth? Well, we don't know that because they're not selling it. But if they did, its value would be determined by the Redeemer. Whoever redeems the peace determines its value. Oh, that makes me to an important question. What are you worth? The value, your value, is determined by your Redeemer. The buyer, the Redeemer, turned your value. Some people... They love money. In fact, they love money more than anything else, and they're offended that someone would spend $1.8 million for an automobile. They're offended by that. Why? Because they love money. I'm thinking, you know, if some guy has $55 million to buy a 12-carat diamond, go for it, pal. He loves the diamond, or the person loves the car more than they love the money. To some people, it's like, that's a lot of money. To other people, it's like, it's only money. It depends on what you love more. It depends on the exchange you're willing to make. It's it's all that. So it all depends on what, what you value in life, whether you make an exchange. Some people value a pack of cigarettes 
More than the 10 bucks it costs to get it. Listen. Thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people every day go in and plunk down the $10 bill and get, I mean, are in package 21 or something? Get 21 cigarettes for $10. Is that what they are? Uh, $20 for for five. $5. Okay, $5. Five bucks. I'm going to take these 20 little plant-filled paper-wrapped things with an edible thing on the end of them and I'm going to trade my $5 bill for that. Is it, well, is it worth it? Yes, it is. As long as they're paying for it, it is worth it. Now, you wouldn't do that, perhaps, but it's worth that much money because if it wasn't worth it, nobody would pay for it. That's a pretty powerful statement, right? See, it, well, it's worth what somebody will pay. It's worth it. Some people <laughs> value the Word of God more than the extra hour of sleep. And they're willing to make the exchange. I, can't, I just can't get up in the morning. I, I just don't have time to read the Bible ever. Then you don't value it. I tell you, you'll make an exchange for whatever you value. If I value my relationship with Tammy, I will make an exchange for time, for money, for whatever it takes in this relationship to make it what it's supposed to be. I'll tell you why marriages fall apart. is because people don't value one another. It's about value. Value. So, man, we, we have to realize that the, 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 the Redeemer determines value. That's pretty good. You see, what determines what somebody's willing to pay for something? Okay, we value is based on what I'm willing to pay. Well, what determines that? What determines what I'm willing to pay for something? One word, desire. Whatever you desire, you'll be willing to make an exchange for. Whatever you desire. That's why people addicted to drugs and alcohol get in trouble because the desire for that, they're addicted to it, their desire for it, their craving for it is stronger than anything else and they'll do anything to get it because of a desire. When someone desires a thing, whatever the thing may be, more than they desire to keep the money or whatever commodity they use in exchange, they'll release the money to get it because they desire the thing. The the McLaren P1 didn't determine its own value. It didn't come off the showroom, I mean off the, the assembly line, or whatever how they make them, and say, I'm worth $1.8 million. It didn't do that. The person who desired it determined its value. That's what determines the value. The value is always determined by the consumers. The buyer or the redeemer determines value. Okay, so now we've set the guidelines. Let's determine your value. How would that be? How much are you worth this morning? What is your value? We know you were redeemed by precious blood. We know that God called the blood precious. First of all, let's recognize something. If somebody else determines your value, they weren't the redeemer. They can't determine your value. 
They didn't buy you. They didn't purchase you. Whatever they say about you, they don't determine your value. They can't. It's impossible. Only the Redeemer, the buyer, can can determine value. You're stupid. You're no good. You're worthless. Really? And how much are you paying to give that opinion? And is it enough? You see, we allow somebody who has no right to even express my value to decide what it is. That would be like us in this room saying, there is no car in the world worth $1.8 million. We'd be wrong because there is one. At least there's more than that. There is no diamond on the planet worth $55 million. We'd be wrong in saying that because there is one. Oh, that, that's, that's useless to me. It may be, but it's not useless to the person who buys it. You are useless. You are worthless. No, you're not. There's a redeemer who placed value on you, and that's the one whose opinion matters. Ooh, man, I like to see God finds you. He desires you so much that he finds you more precious than all the precious metals on the planet put together. All of them. I mean, he finds you that way. Listen, they do not have enough value that he would exchange all of them for you. That's not enough. By the way, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. It's his metal anyway. If, he, if it was good enough to pay, he could have paid it. But he didn't do that. There was something more valuable that he needed. Look at this verse of Scripture. Look in Psalm 49. Psalm 49, we're going to look at verse 8. You are valuable. You are precious. The Redeemer, the buyer, went to market and paid for you. Psalm 49, verse 8. Here's what it says. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever that he should live forever and not see corruption. Now, that's pretty King Jamesy, so let me read it to you from the Living Bible. This is awesome. Listen to this. For a soul is far too precious to be ransomed by mere earthly wealth. There is not enough of it in all the earth to buy eternal life for just one soul to keep it out of hell. There's not enough. There aren't enough material possessions to buy you, to give you eternal life. There's not enough. Eternal life can only come from the eternal one. And he had to choose the only thing. We're going to talk in a few weeks about the value of the blood. But that's the only thing possible that could give you eternal life. One soul is more precious than all the blood and all the, all the gold in the world. One soul is as precious as Jesus' blood. Just one. Wow. We talked in an earlier message about the value of our bodies. If you went to market and you could melt it all down, your body, the components, the minerals, and all that stuff in your body are worth about $150. <laughs> Not very much. But now, if you took your body... And, you know, you gave your parts up for transplant, like your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, your eyes, or whatever else they can use again. Your body's worth over $9 million. That's pretty good. That ought to elevate you just a little bit. More than $150, you are worth $9 million physically. But you're worth, 
You're worth much more than that because you are not a body only. You live in a body. Your body that you live in is worth that in the world, just its parts. You're not a body. Listen, listen to this passage of Scripture. This is Isaiah 13, 12. Just listen to what it says. The Lord said, I will make a man more precious than fine gold. He said, you know what, man? It goes on to say, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. He said, man is more precious than gold. Man is more precious than money. I love Isaiah 43, 4. I'll just read the first half of the verse. It says, since thou wast precious in my sight, Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Honor and value are synonyms. If we're honorable in his sight, that means we're valuable. The Living Bible says it this way, You are precious to me and honored. I love you. <laughs> that's good. I love you. The message says this. It says, That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. That's value. That's what God values. People are of more value than all the material things that you can see. It's funny. People fight over gold. Wars have been fought over gold. And in God's estimation, it doesn't have that kind of value. The only thing that God estimates of that kind of value in the world are people. That's what he sees. He sees you as valuable. God determined our value. It's God's choice. It's God's determination. You know, for decades now, they've been teaching the theory of evolution as a science. You realize it's nothing more than an effort to devalue people. It, it just devalues us. It devalues what we are and who we are in this theory. Evolution is, is just that it's a theory. It's not proven science. It's a theory. The theory of evolution is not science. In fact, the, the, well, here's the conflict. The conflict is science versus religion. No, it's not. It's belief versus belief. Science doesn't prove evolution. There's no proof in science for evolution. There's proof in the scripture, though, that it's false. It's their belief. Just think about this. When God created the universe, the God, the creator of the universe, loves me. He loves you. He created and... Apparently, it's still going on. I mean, when he said, when he said, let there be light, it just keeps going because life, light just keeps going and going. The universe supposedly is continually increasing, continually growing, continually expanding. God created the whole universe. I mean, nobody can count the stars. Every time they think they got them all counted, they find new ones. Every time they think, well, that's, this is only this many galaxies, well, they find new ones. They find a new star. They find a new galaxy. They find new planets. They find new things all the time. I mean, God that created all of that vastness loves me. To our knowledge now, 
we are the only ones who live in this universe. To our knowledge. Now, I don't know, there may be somebody else out there, but to our knowledge, if they're at, well, except for heaven, we know there's some people there. But, but, but through telescopes and through uh, space travel and through all that stuff, they've never discovered one living cell off of this planet. Not one. Well, we think there might have been water on Mars. Might have, could have, should have, but they hadn't found it. Why, why would they spend all of those billions of dollars trying to find that? I'll tell you why. They want to say we're not valuable. They want to say life is there and it just happened there. Like it just happened here. Oh, man. They're wasting our money. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's cool they get to go and do all that stuff. And I would, you know, I think that would be fun to go do. They're not going to find. When they get to Mars, you know what they're going to find? Rocks and dirt. I mean, and they're going to get there eventually, but unless Jesus comes back. Because that's what they found on the moon. That's what's out there. God created this world for you and me because he wanted a family. Because he loves us. We read the verse a minute ago, God is love. If he, he is, since he is love, he got to have something to love. And that thing is not a thing. It's a person or people. It's you and me. Because this is the only eternal thing in this, in this planet. God set the value. He made the purchase. He went to market with the blood of Jesus. The creator of this universe loves me. Yes. It seems that even if there are things on other planets or whatever, the, the fact is that the earnest expectation of all of creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's right. Even if they're out there. So that would even prove even more how important we are to God. That's even right. Yes. Galaxies. It proves even more love. Right. And even Amen. if they were even more intelligent than us, they would be saying, Come on. Yes. Amen. Come I see on. that's exactly it right. That's right. That's right. Because they're waiting. All of creation. That's exactly right. He's waiting for us. Can you just imagine? God made Adam. And the angels are going, Well, that's kind of cool. And then the angels watched God. Breathing him. And they said, What is man? What is that? That he is so valuable to God. And you know, you can just, this is, I don't know if this really happened, but you can just imagine Adam sitting there going, Well, that's it, God. Sorry about that. And then he looks at Jesus. And he said, Son, this is the plan before the foundation of this planet. Your blood is what it's going to take to buy them back. 
And you just imagine the angels scratching their head again going, what is man that you value him so much? See, they don't even understand it. That you value him so much that all of creation, which is what Chris just said, is waiting for them to manifest who they are. What is this man that you're making? That you're willing to take the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and shed His perfect blood for them to go to market to pay that price for man. See, sometimes we don't even understand the value. You look at yourself and it's like, I'm not worth that. Yes, you are. He said it. He determined your value. $35 million, $55 million for a diamond is nothing compared to you and your value. You see, He finds us value. He finds us valuable. He created us. He intends for us to do what He called us to do. How valuable are you? What is your appraised value? If I was going to do an appraisal on you this morning, I would say, Ken Vincent, appraised value, the blood of Jesus plus. Just a little more because God was willing to make the exchange. That's your appraised value. That's what someone was willing to pay for you. For your mom or your dad or your cousin or Uncle Ricky and them, for them to say, you're no good, they're wrong. You may have done some no good things, but that's not who you are and that's not your value. You are precious. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you, God, that you have made us in your image and that you were willing to go on the open market after man's sin and you were willing to invest the blood of Jesus in exchange for us. We're not some worthless, no good nobodies that are useless. We are your sons and your daughters. And Father, this morning we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.